Welcome to Season 3 of the Underwater Technology Podcast from the SUT, the Society for Underwater Technology. I'm Emily Boddy, Communications and Publications Officer at the SUT. And I'm Andrew Connolly with the SUT Aberdeen Branch and SUT Council. Each week we bring you interviews with our members, guests and colleagues from the global underwater technology community. Podcast 66, 9th of September 2021. In this episode, we talk with Ross McFarlane, USV Policy and Public Affairs Advisor with Fugro. Ross speaks about the Mass People Programme, intended to improve regulation and people competencies in the fast-growing field of autonomous and uncrewed surface vessels. Welcome to the Underwater Technology Podcast by the SUT, the Society for Underwater Technology. My guest today is Ross McFarlane from Fugro, and Ross is based in Sweden. So hello, Ross. Hello. Thanks for joining us. So, Ross, we're going to hear a bit today about your Mass People initiative. But before we hear about that, uh, let's hear a little bit about yourself and your own background. Okay, thank you. So, yeah, my name is Ross McFarlane. I work for Fugro as the Policy and Public Affairs Advisor, focused on the the USVs. So that's the uncrewed surface vessels that we're developing. A little bit about my background. So I started out doing a cadetship to to get my license to go offshore, be an officer of the watch. After I completed that, though, I decided to, to kind of take a slightly different path and I became the training officer for Northern Marine Management. So I looked after the, the training for their entire managed fleet and sort of oversaw the instigation of, of the ECTUS uh, training when that was first brought in and then the STCW refresher training when that, when that was first instigated. And then I decided to, to kind of go back offshore again and, and put my skills to the test. So I, I went offshore and worked for Swire Pacific offshore on their anchor handlers and supply boats. And then I took a, a slightly different path again and went to the cruise industry and worked for Royal Caribbean. They did a project to install scrubbers on their vessels to reduce the emissions on board. Okay. So I oversaw the the installations of the scrubber system on board one of their vessels. So that was a two-year project. And then once that completed, I, I decided to come back ashore again. Um, I was actually getting married at the time to my wife who I met on the cruise ship. Uh-huh. Congratulations. Thank you. We decided that it would be better if one of us came ashore. So she's actually still at sea. I and mean, that's when I came and joined Fugro in, in the role that I've got now. I see. Evan, it certainly sounds like you've, you've probably travelled the world with with some of those roles for sure and, and ended up in Sweden. I mean, you, you certainly don't sound Swedish. No, no, I'm originally, originally from Glasgow. And as you say, I've, I've, I've sort of been everywhere, I guess you could say. And uh, my wife's Swedish, so that's that's how I ended up here. Excellent, yeah. I guess. Fortunately. Excellent. So, yeah, we're, we're going to learn about mass people. Let's hear about what, what mass people means. Mass people is sort of a, it's a fun name for a, for what's essentially an international training standards working group. And mass, for, for those of you that don't know, is, is one of the terms which has been adopted by the International Maritime Authority. It means maritime autonomous surface systems. So essentially uncrewed um, surface vessels. So that's big ships that we're taking people off, essentially. And that's where mass people comes in, because although we're taking the people off the ships, that doesn't mean that the people aren't going to be involved anymore. Technology is still developing, and it's not at the point where, I don't know if it'll ever be the point where you can ever truly remove the human from the loop. 
So what we're looking at is essentially is that transition from the human being in the loop to the human being on the loop, meaning that they're involved in the operations, if not physically. So that's essentially what mass people is. Mass people has been set up to develop the training competencies to make sure that the workforce is suitably skilled to operate these 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 uncrewed vessels. So mass people was was set up by uh, Fugro and a company called Seabot XR that we work with to develop our own internal training project. Mm-hmm. And then we approached a number of maritime flag states. So that's the maritime authorities in different uh, in different countries. And we currently have eight of them signed up. And so that's the the group itself is sort of an international group made up of maritime authorities. And then I think probably later on we'll come to the other elements of the group and how everybody can sort of be involved in it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly something that's getting a lot of press over the last few years is, you know, the growth and development of, of autonomous or, or uncrewed vessels, both subsea and surface. So, you know, certainly an initiative to to help push forward the regulation, you know, the competencies uh, and certainly the human side of it is, is definitely good to see. How does it come about? You said it's a collaboration. Or is it fugro-driven you know, or customer-driven? So I guess maybe to take a step back, when we first started to develop the uncrewed vessels, that was when I was brought in to sort of identify what legislation we had to comply with. And I guess the short story is that at that point, there wasn't any. Yes, um, make, make up your own legislation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was sort of the Wild West. So um, as we've developed through this programme, one of the initial things we, we saw was that these gaps need to be filled in the legislation. And whenever new technology comes out within the maritime industry, a lot of this is governed by the International Maritime Organization, the IMO. They tend to focus on sort of the big flagship regulations first, so like safety of people's lives at sea, SOLAS, pollution, so MARPOL, those sorts of things. And they, they generally tend to leave STCW, which is the standards for training, certification and watchkeeping, and that's what's focused on the, the people and skills part. That's usually left to the end. And I think we sort of we sort of identified that because this is such a big transition to the industry, it's not just a a three-day course that people are going to go on and learn how to use these technologies. You know, it's we're talking about fundamental re-education of people, essentially. Mm-hmm. We couldn't really leave that until the end. So that was why um, Fugro, Fugro sort of started developing their own training internally. And then we saw an opportunity to sort of help the industry there. There's a theory that it sort of takes 30 years to train a workforce. So you're not going to be able to do that yourself. And that was why we um, approached all these flag states with this opportunity and said to them, we're developing our own training course for this. We're working with uh, a lot of people to help develop the the legislation around this for for the other parts of it as well. So we said, why don't we all work together, look at the training training problem as a whole, use the training course that we're developing as as a starting point for that essentially, and sort of build upon that and make sure that the industry is prepared for this. Because I think that's maybe the other key element here is that what we're talking about at the moment generally are are small vessels, so less than 24 metres. And I think the difference between what, what's happened in the past is there's been a segregation between those sub-24 metre vessels and everything above that. But what we're seeing this technology allows us to do is put those less than 24 metre vessels in situations that you would normally expect to see a you know, 100, 200 metre vessel offshore. And that's because of you've removed that human element from being on board. So I think the skills gap between those two different types of vessels is now actually sort of eroded to the point where the, the skills are essentially going to be the same no matter what size of vessel as you're looking for. So that was that was why we we kind of really pushed to make sure that we're setting a good a good basis here for for going forward as the vessels do start to get bigger. Yeah, that's an interesting point. As as you say, you know, the uncrewed vessels are are, are typically smaller doing similar jobs. There's potentially a bit of a gap in in how you regulate that. For the for the locations that they're going into and the jobs that they're doing, so yeah, definitely definitely a, an area to 
to be considering. What stage is the, the, the development of the, the initiative at? Is it, you know, is it a long-term project? The group sort of is still in its first year since we got the first member signed up to it. There's goals that are short, medium and long term, but I think essentially the final goal of creating a new training competency scheme, which goes into international legislation, has to be a long term goal purely because of the way that the process works. So um, there's estimates at the moment that the, the, the IMO won't come out with legislation until around about 2028. So that gives okay. you a, so an example of the, the timeframes that we're looking at. But obviously, each of the, the local authorities that we're working with have their own waters to regulate. So that's that's a sort of more short to medium term goal of of trying to help them set a standard locally for them. So within the UK, for example, we have the workboat code, which governs uh, sub 24 metre vessels. So alongside that, you need to have training standards. So, that, so, so theoretically, they could adopt these earlier than the, the IMO. It's a sort of staged approach that we're taking. But as I say, the group's in its first year at the moment. We've developed the first package of competencies, which are now going through the review process. And the stage we're at now is essentially the flag states, which are part of the group, are looking to get more involvement from, from local entities. So the UK, for example, is a good is a good example there because they've just released a, a questionnaire to try and get involvement from um, academia, wider industry and, and NGOs that want to be involved in this. So the idea is that the mass people group develops the competencies and then that filters down into the, the the flag states which make up the group and then they then take that away and work with their industry within their local their local region to get feedback on how that should be shaped and stuff like that before that all comes back up into the mass people group and that's where we sort of take the the high level decisions about which competencies fit and meet meet sort of come to an agreement as to what the whole package needs to look like it's difficult to put a timeline on it but i think it's probably a long scale project for sure. Yeah, yeah, sounds sounds like it. And at least I don't think that uncrewed vessels are going away anytime soon. So I think they're very much here to stay. Thinking there about you know the the types of people that are involved in in uncrewed vessels. You know, obviously pilots, but you know, survey operators as well. Does the initiative include you know a range of different roles that would be involved in uncrewed vessels? So part of the step is identifying the roles that are going to be involved. Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing is because we're taking this step away from the vessel where it's very segmented, you know, you have the deck department, the engine department, survey department, the ROV department, whatever sort of setup the vessel's got, it has a sort of specific department which looks after that. But transitioning to a, to a remote operations centre setup sort of removes those, those invisible barriers between the groups. We're coming to a point where roles need to sort of expand. I'm not talking about roles being removed, essentially. It's more of a, a cross-skilling mm -hmm. so that people can be involved in different parts of it to step in when required. Say if you have a USV pilot sitting next to an ROV pilot, there could be certain times when, when that USV operator has to has to go and do something like uh, update the charts or maybe take a, a technical break or something like that. The ROV operator can then be skilled to a point where he can step in for that short term. The biggest barrier to that at the moment is the, is the regulations and the, the base level certification which is required. But taking a sort of holistic approach and a long term view, I think what we're looking at is is roles sort of blending slightly. So you still have a specialism, but underneath that specialism, the scope of your role expands slightly so that you have a, a broader knowledge of the whole operation. And that's one of the nice things about the Remote Operations Centre as well, is that we can then 
tap into a whole bunch of resources that we wouldn't have had available to us before because the shoreside management is essentially sitting upstairs from where the vessel crew are sitting rather than mm. 3,000 miles away. So we have a much broader range of knowledge and skills available to us at short notice as well. So that should theoretically make the make the operations more successful. I guess, yeah, I guess it's, that's one of the major advantages of, of the approach of, of autonomous vessels or, you know, ungrid vessels uh, to have everyone effectively in the one place and, and to safe, you know, in a in an open plan, easy to, to interact environment. You were talking about barriers there. Are you seeing particular barriers to, to the work on the initiative so far? Or, you know, what sort of challenges do you, you foresee throughout the, the, the work that you're planning to do? Probably the biggest challenge of all is the, the sort of moving goalposts of the technology itself. Because mm-hmm. um, the difficulty of it is making sure that people are skilled enough to operate today, but also that in five years' time, that's not what we teach them today isn't going to become irrelevant in five years. So it's keeping it broad enough that they have a they have the knowledge to prepare themselves for the future, but also that they're they're competent enough to operate today in a safe and efficient manner. I think that's probably the the biggest challenge. And then just aside from that, getting buy-in from the industry, I think talking from a more marine point of view, the, the marine industry is sort of traditionally seen as a not as forward thinking perhaps as some other industries. <laughs> um, and that sort of mindset of, you know, this is what we've done, this is what we've always done and it's always worked, so why do we need to change it? I mm-hmm. think it's it's that ground up approach that we maybe need to take and see what is necessary for the future, what is relevant from the past, eradicating the the unnecessary parts to make sure that people are are prepared for what they're going to be doing. And that sort of ground up approach, you know, it's, it's almost very much similar to, to what's happening with the uncrewed vessels themselves, being the fact that they don't need to have cabins on them and crews and, you know, they, they don't need to look like your typical traditional vessel. I was going to say it's in its infancy, but, you know, there's, there's some really good products out there now that have had a lot of development put into them. But, you know, it's almost like a clean slate of how you how you design and build a vessel. As you say, it's, it's very much um, pushing the boundaries both on, on how the vessel works and how people use it. Yeah, I think there's a phrase that I, I sort of like to use is that generally when you take an approach to something, you take this, you know, evolution, not revolution, is the saying mm-hmm. people say. But I think we're actually at a point now where what we need is revolution rather than evolution because it's such a such a step, it's such a revolutionary chain point that we're at in the industry that's going to affect everything. You know, it's going to affect the way that ports are designed it's going to affect the people that are involved in the operations, the way that you design vessels, as you say, because now if you don't have the people on board, you can you can have sort of unusual hull forms that are maybe mm-hmm. more beneficial for certain aspects of work. So I think we are actually we're at a revolutionary point rather than that evolution that we've sort of seen the industry go through for the last 100, 200, 300 years. So you're talking about your collaboration with Seabot XR and, and you're working with these uh, IMOs, you know, are they... Is that all being met with enthusiasm and, you know, it's all working really well? Yeah, generally, I think the spirit of collaboration is is sort of thriving at the moment. I think because of the scale of the challenge, we have that difficulty of a, a sort of safety standard has been set within the industry. So anything we do now has to either meet or exceed that standard, which means that you don't have that um you don't have that slow burn approach that you can sort of try it out, fail a few times and then eventually get it right. We sort of have to get it right first time. So I think because of that 
difficulty and that confinement that we find ourselves in has meant that people are more open to sharing ideas and working together and trying to make sure that we do get it right first time rather than stumbling along for a few years and making a few mistakes and people losing faith in the technology. So it's been it's actually been a very pleasant environment to work in. Excellent. So what does success look like as a, as a picture, you know, the, the, the long-term goal of the initiative? I think I've, I've probably said it before, but I think people are really key to what we're doing here and technology shouldn't be seen as a a threat to people. I think it should be seen as an enabler and an enhancement to people. For me, the success of this project is really to see a well-trained workforce equipped to meet the challenges that the technology is going to introduce. I think I'd like to see a broader workforce as well. I think one of the challenges of the industry at the moment is the the divide, the, the gender divide, mm-hmm. um, where something like 98% of people that people at sea are male. So I'm hoping by introducing this new environment of, of the remote operations centre where you can go home at the end of the day, you're not away for months at a time. I'm hoping that'll help to sort of enthuse that transition. And even aside from the gender divide, there's the there's the physical attributes that are sort of required to go offshore at the moment. And that's no longer essential. So I'm hoping that opens the door to other people as well and gives, gives sort of a, a broader opportunity to a wider range of people. To, to get involved in an industry. It is an exciting industry, and especially when things like this happen with new technology and stuff like that. It's a, it's a fun place to work. So to cut it short, I think the success for me is a well-trained and broad workforce available to sort of push the industry forward into the coming years. I think that's a really good picture to to think about an inclusive potential workforce that can, can be involved in the marine and, and subsea industry. So what's the next steps that are on the horizon for you? We're continuing with the, the competence development. That's sort of the core of what we're doing, um, trying to identify what, what skills are there. Roles are going to change. So I think identifying what roles are necessary is, is really the fundamental step. And then we can build those competencies on, on top of that. But I think bringing the whole the, the industry together sort of is the key process to that, bringing surface and subsurface together to make sure that they're aligned, supporting each other and the operations are sort of efficient and effective. And just aside from that is, I think, getting more people involved in the process. Uh, I already mentioned that the MCA is looking for, for people in the UK to, to sort of reach out and get involved with them. Mm-hmm. So I think making sure that we have as many as we've sort of said already, the collaborative approach, having as many voices as possible, obviously in a structured approach, because if we have too many people shouting, some of it will get drowned out. But uh, having a structured approach and getting people's voices heard to make sure that what we set up is relevant and works for the the next coming period within the industry to make sure that people are prepared, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's perhaps some relevant expertise within you know, the, the, the SUT, the audience, uh, or the SUT special interest groups that could potentially contribute, provide some some assistance. So, you know, if the right person was tuning in, you know, how, how would you recommend they, they get in touch or, or you know, or finding about more? The MCA has launched a, a questionnaire to try and identify relevant parties to be involved. The link to that you can actually find on the Mass People LinkedIn page. Okay. Um, or if they offer us to go to the MCA page as well, it's there. For those that are Outside of the UK, I would say the best way to do it is to approach your local maritime authority. Unfortunately, I, I can't give out the names of all the members of the group at the moment. So I think the first step would be to approach them, ask if they're part of mass people. If they're not, ask them maybe why not and ask if they can get involved. And if they if they are involved in mass people, then voice your willingness to, to be involved and in, in part of the process. I know that they're they're looking at 
their own regional approaches. Unfortunately, the, the MCA is the only one that sort of released it publicly at the moment. So the best advice for me is just to approach the local maritime authority and ask the question. Okay, excellent. We'll add some details for that in the podcast description. Anyone listening in the audience, if you are interested in finding out more or, or potentially even contributing, then do check out the description and, and do get in touch. It's a really interesting initiative, Ross. I mean, thanks for giving us a, a bit of a rundown of the details of it. And, you know, it's a long-term project, so there's a lot of ongoing work to do. So we wish you all the success. So it leaves us to return to our Subsea Facts feature. Is there something interesting that you can share with us? Yeah, I thought um, since we, we spoke about it, like I, I've sailed sort of all over the world. One of the most interesting points that I came across was um, Point Nemo. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's it's actually the, the furthest point from land. And um, oh, right, okay. technically it's actually closer to space than it is to land. <laughs> so at some points, theoretically, the astronauts in the space station are closer to it than people on land are. No, I had not considered that. That's fascinating. So what sort of distance is involved in that? I think it's about a thousand miles from the nearest landmass. Goodness. And it's uh, right in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Fascinating. Does that cover distance to, I mean, there's islands in the Pacific, does that cover distances? Yeah, that to, covers covers those distances as to, well. I guess you've got Hawaii and some of those uh, Pacific islands. Brilliant. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought, I, thought, I thought that was really fascinating when we sailed past there. Obviously, that's not in counting ships, but <laughs> for people well, like more. <laughs> exactly, yeah. No, thanks very much for that. I say thanks again for uh, giving us a you know a really interesting insight into mass people. You know, we wish you all the success. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much to the audience for tuning in. I hope you found that interesting. I certainly have. We look forward to you tuning in to us again on another podcast. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To find out more about SUT, go to sut.org. If you'd like to get in touch with us about appearing on a future episode or to find out how you can sponsor an upcoming episode, contact podcast at sut.org. You can also follow SUT on social media. We're on Twitter at SUT underscore news, Instagram at Society for Underwater, Facebook at Society for Underwater Technology and LinkedIn at SUT Society for Underwater Technology. Please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe to the podcast and we'll be back with a new episode next week. Thank you.